0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to another
1: episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast i'm your co-host chad dundas alongside ben folks we're both senior writers for mma for the athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? Doing all right. How's your big weekend away? Uh, can we talk about that on the show, or is that supposed to be a secret?
2: No, uh, we can talk about it because it, it didn't happen. Uh, what it happened didn't when, happen. What happened is I left here. I don't know if you noticed that I was not not at my full power on Friday. Uh, but I left here and proceeded to get sicker and sicker as the afternoon wore on to the point where I was like, no, I'm still going to go to Vegas I'm meeting some old friends from from high school and college. We're all going to meet up in Vegas. I could still totally go. And I packed a bag, went to the airport later that day, standing in line at the security thing, and I noticed I was shivering and I was like, all right, maybe here's the point where I admit to myself that I'm actually sick and that it would probably not be the greatest thing for my immune system to go drink beer and stay up late in Vegas for the next two days and catch like a 4 a.m. flight home on Sunday. And so I just went home and got immediately in bed. So you just bailed? And I bailed. You bailed on a plane ticket? Yes.
1: What about uh, Horton? Was he already in Vegas?
2: Well, he was there, and, but a couple of other of our friends were there, so it wasn't like he was there all by himself. You didn't just ditch him? No. I mean, it. I by Sunday... My family returned, I'd picked them up at the airport, and I still did not feel great, but I was like, I felt great in comparison to how I knew I would have felt if I had gone while sick to Las Vegas and tried to just pound beers through the the haze. It would not have been pretty. See, that's, that's maturity. That's the maturity that come with my years. That's how I'm choosing to think about it. You know what?
1: I can honestly say I don't think I've ever heard of anyone getting to the airport and then being like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I
2: made it all the way. I made it through the airport security check, and then I had to, like, sit down. I had to sit down and take a breath after the airport security check, and that's when I was like, what are you doing? Be honest with yourself about what kind of shape you're going to be in. But, I mean, I was in bed that night asleep before the plane would have landed in Las Vegas. Wow. So – I made the right call, I think.
1: It's not what I expected to hear. I expected to hear tales of you getting those plastic footballs full of uh, margarita and throwing them at people on the Las Vegas Strip.
2: Man, those are like 20 bucks a piece. You're
1: not going to throw it once you get the whole thing full. Well, once it's empty. Yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. You might do that. So I'm just going to take me a minute to get, my, get myself back together yeah. here. After grab,
2: grab a breath.
1: See what you want to do? I thought, I already was like, you know, we'll budget out the first 15 minutes of the show for Ben's Wild Vegas stories, and then we'll we'll go from there.
2: And then you'll start uh, talking about how excited you are to get up at, I believe, 1 a.m. mountain time to watch uh, the UFC in China this weekend? That's right, yeah. We were going to go straight into
1: that discussion. Yeah.
2: I know you're hyped. I can see it in your face. You're like, man, bunch of prelims featuring fighters who I don't even know if their names are real or if Ben just made them up to fool
1: me. 1 a.m. Anybody who gets up for the prelims for this show and they're not actually getting paid to do it has a problem. You think you have an MMA problem? What if you
2: get up, you you for the prelims, you go to turn on ESPN Plus to watch the prelims? You're like, all right, here we go. I set my alarm. I woke up, and then the like instead of the prelims, it's just John Anik telling you to get help.
1: (laughs) That's like it turns out there were no
2: prelims. This was all a ruse. It's all just so that the UFC can be like, look. We're glad you enjoy our product, but please enjoy it
1: responsibly. It sounds like a, uh, you know, it sounds more positive than the alternative. Let's say that. (laughs) A great way to look fresh and toss a little money in the CME coffers is to pick up a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt or a Dundasso t-shirt. Those are always available all the time on demand whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. We got music again this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. z. Three rounds, as usual, in the co-main event podcast this weekend. Round number one, yo, Matreon, what's up here with your mouthpiece, bro? And other Bellator 225 notes. In round number two, in the wake of Conor McGregor's 45-minute interview with Ariel Helwani, what's really the appetite to see this dude return to the cage? And in round number three, how many of you guys are waking up at 3 a.m. Eastern Time for these e- UFC on ESPN Plus 15 prelims? You know that's only going to encourage them, right? All that plus are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff in Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of Listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson, who writes... This is in all caps to begin. Okay. Yeah! Mir versus Nelson, too! Plenty of exclamation points. Then, crickets.
2: Okay, I see what she did.
1: Seriously, am I the only person sort of depressed about this headliner? Is there some sort of fun element to this that I'm missing? Both men are in the decline of their careers. Nelson's on a three-fight losing skid. Mir has lost four in a row. Is there any chance this might be enjoyable, i.e. an impressive KO from Big Country or an arm-breaking submission from Mir? Help me out here, guys, and tell me why I should be excited for this. I'm struggling. Now, this is true that Bellator... Did they announce this over the weekend or just officially confirm it? Anyway, we're doing Frank Mir versus Big Country. Roy Nelson... The, the the rematch at an upcoming Bellator event. I believe it's in October. But what you really need to know here that this is part of a doubleheader Bellator weekend. I believe Mir and Nelson goes down on Friday and then they're going to do the finals of the welterweight tournament. Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima. Another rematch. Another rematch the next night on Saturday night. So I don't know if I'm going to put a lot of emphasis and or thought into the Friday night show. It just seems like the first night of a really weird uh, rock festival where like you don't really need to show up till the second night that's when the headliners are going to go on okay I mean
2: do you think Bellator just looked around at who they had and were like I don't know these guys again can we do it again brother
1: we don't want to overly simplify what's going on but you got to think that there's a certain aspect of Bellator matchmaking that is kind of like what can we do who do we got who's available where can we put them who can they fight It's not like the UFC, right? Where uh, you throw a dart and you're going to hit a couple of lightweights, probably with 10 fight win streaks.
2: As for the question, is there any chance this might be enjoyable? This should be one of the heavyweight fights contested under aging heavyweight rules.
1: Yeah, this could be in the master's
2: division. Right. We'll go three minutes on the first round. Uh, Second round, that's when we start to institute the rules where... The ref tells him like a hard warning right off the bat to begin the second round. If I see you guys reaching down to the hem of your shorts, bending over at the waist and sucking in air, I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it a a no contest right there.
1: Referee's discretion. Yes. As soon as fatigue begins to set in, you know who I think is the right guy for that, Mergliata. Okay. Yeah. He's gonna know. He'll be able to step in and call it off at the the first time. That These guys look like they're going to be winded. Uh, and what would you say this is a fight for? Bragging rights? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, yeah, you asked the, the, that's the good question right there. What's at stake here? Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, too. Tracy Dickinson mentioning uh, Frank Meir's four fight losing streak, actually softballing it a little bit. It's actually two and eight in his last 10. He beat. Antonio Silva and Todd Duffy in the UFC in 2015. Otherwise, winless, you know, when his last win prior to that was Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, UFC 140, Ooh, December yeah. 10th, 2011. Yikes. Man, you have to go
2: all the way back to that knockout of Todd Duffy to find a Frank Mir win.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit misleading just in terms of time because he did, right. he had the uh, steroid suspension terenoball. on account of the
2: kangaroo meat. That's well. Right.
1: He's one of these guys that like he tested positive for the same or he Frank Mir alleges that he tested positive for the same uh, long lasting metabolite of turnaball that John Jones later tested positive for. And now Frank Mir says, "Hey, how come I got served up a two year suspension?" John Jones is kind of getting the benefit of the doubt. I invite you to read his Facebook multiple Facebook posts on the subject. <laughs> I think
2: even more, I don't know, discouraging than the four fight losing streak itself, which includes Andrei Olofsky, Mark Hunt, Fedor Milianenko, not a bad list of fellow aging heavyweights to lose to, but that last one to Javi Ayala where it just seemed like it became kind of a grind, he'd been beat up a little bit and suffered some injuries in it and it just seemed like he didn't really want to be there. And so for that, that one, you kind of came out of that one going, "Uh, maybe here's the point when Frank should think about doing something else. And instead, nope, we're going to go right back to doing it with Roy Nelson.
1: You ready to hear what what the big picture on Roy Nelson's win-loss record is? Okay, tell me. Four and ten in his last 14.
2: Last 14? We're going to go that far back? he's
1: he's lost three in a row, and then he won one, lost one, and then earlier than that, lost three in a row, and then two in a row before that. So at this point, prone to uh, losing streaks is big country, Roy Nelson.
2: 43 years old. Can you know you what I was him? surprised? How did we all ever get so
1: old? Matrion, 41 years old this past weekend, taking on uh, Sergei Haratonov. Older. M- M- he got uh, into the game late. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. But but who would have thought Matt Mitrion older than Sergei Haratonov? I
2: would have thought that. Really? Sergei got into the game young.
1: That's true. But I feel like I just remember Sergei Haratonov from, like, pioneer days. Yeah.
2: Back like when he used to walk out in like the Russian special forces uniform and like with the beret thing and everything and you were totally into it.
1: Yeah. And now uh it turns out he's just a spry young whipper snapper compared to Matt Mitrione.
2: Thirty nine, Sergey Karatonov.
1: But this is really just the aperitif, Okay. Right to uh yeah. to Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima. Also a rematch, but at least in the final of the uh, yeah, big money that a Welterweight Tournament.
2: I am excited for that one. I bet 50 Cent's excited, too. He's going to hand out like a briefcase of like 000, 000, a million dollars. Big check. It, right? Yeah.
1: Better be a big check.
2: No, man. It's briefcase. He's going to have it handcuffed to his wrist, and he's going to like uncuff it ceremoniously inside the cage, and then cuff it to your wrist.
1: Well, they can do that. That's fine. But I also want to see a big check out there. Well, if we do a whole tournament and nobody gets a big check, I'm going to feel a little bit robbed a little bit like I was came into this thing under false pretenses.
2: I mean, I, the good news is I believe Scott Coker knows a guy who can make up a big check.
1: For yeah, you. no, he's got the big check guy on speed dial. Yeah. That's true. Next question, as we comes to us from the Cheeseburger Walrus, who writes, Bellator tried a whole new "quote unquote" Bellator thing this past week, posting pics of and a description of a "quote unquote" mystery fighter signing ended up being some "quote unquote" famous rugby player. Lots of lead up for not much of a result for us North Americans, anyway. Discourse how they went about it and admit it if they had you a bit intrigued. Now this would be the signing of what is it, James Haskell? We talked about this yeah. guy on Friday's Power the rugby Hour, guy. yeah, but he is the. Uh, Uh, British, I believe, rugby superstar now entering the Bellator heavyweight division, which as we talked about on Friday, hey man, it's heavyweight. You know what I mean? And if the worst thing you can say about Bellator is maybe they understand that the uh, heavyweight division is rife for a little bit of fun, eh, I'll take that. I'll take that criticism.
2: Do you think, though, that this was the one where you really wanted to hype it up? kind of roll it out real slow, get everybody's attention, get our hopes up.
1: That was a weird choice. Kind of
2: like, do you remember every once in a while the old WWF would do this? And the WCW would do it too sometimes where they'd be like, okay, we're going to build up this big thing. Remember the WWF had the big, like,
1: egg? I was just going to say, are you trying to say that James Haskell is the MMA equivalent of the gobbledygooker right now? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't go that far. I would
2: never, never say that about somebody because I don't... No, Nobody deserves to have that put on them. But it does highlight the difficulty when you build something up so much like that, that then we're expecting it to be really good. Whereas if you had just said, hey, guess who we signed? This scary-looking rugby dude. We'd have been like, oh, okay. Well, now tell me about him. And then there's your opportunity. Whereas if you get us to believe, like, this is going to be something really big and it turns out most of us don't even know the guy – then it seems like maybe that was not the way to go with it.
1: Yeah, I think over here on this side of the pond, you could say it was a little bit of a disappointment if you indeed got suckered in by that we got a big announcement thing. I guess maybe co-main event podcast listeners out there from the UK can let us know if this is a big deal. If James Haskell is like the equivalent of George Clooney or whatever. like
2: George Clooney? That's a, that's a first question comparison you think of
1: well who else what do you think i don't know maybe somebody in sports I don't john know. elway <laughs> okay yes sure you know it's like if the if, if the ufc signed john elway or herschel walker for example okay yeah there there's another example <laughs> because we don't know if it's a big deal or not and it's possible that this is just another instance of bellator uh, not necessarily shifting its focus, but kind of jumping in with both feet in terms of European expansion. You talk to people over at Bellator inside the company, and they are both real excited and real uh, uh, adamant about their expansion into Europe. I think maybe they feel like it's a it's a part of the world that the UFC hasn't necessarily forsaken, but hasn't been focused in other places and in other areas right now. And Bellator uh, has a nice TV deal over there in, in Europe. And so I think that, the company itself is is excited about the stuff it's going to be able to do over there. So it's possible that, much like UFC China, this James uh, Haskell signing just ain't for us. It's okay. for somebody else.
2: That's, that's entirely possible. It also seems, you're right, they seem, though, especially excited about doing stuff in England and Italy. Yeah. That seems like the main areas that Bellator has pinpointed is like, that's where we're going to put a lot of effort into it.
1: Next question this week comes to us from David Jones, who writes, I'll try to keep this short. We are playing, quote, Marvel's What If, MMA edition. Now, I don't know what that is.
2: I don't know what that is. I don't know what Marvel's What If is.
1: I'm going to guess that it's a series of Marvel comic books where they go ahead and, and mix up the world and ask crazy questions like What If? What if Wolverine and George Clooney both signed with Bellator? See, I don't. Just get on with it. Their their fight was refed by John Elway. What? If, <laughs> <laughs> what if Ben?
2: Yeah. What, what if, if indeed? If. What if I just walked out this door and never came back?
1: <laughs> well, then I would have a lot more spare time. Uh, what if Dana White is let go from the UFC and the very next day Scott Coker decides to retire? Bellator hires Dana White to be the president of Bellator with the same power that he had with the UFC. What happens? What does he do? What changes does he make? Is he successful? And if so, how successful? And how long does it take? If not, how long before he is fired or runs Bellator into the ground?
2: Okay. So, we have to imagine a scenario in which Dana White is fired from the UFC.
1: And Scott Coker retires.
2: Like within... Domino's, It's like Tuesday, Wednesday. Domino's. Okay. So... What could Dana White get fired from, fired for from the UFC at this point? Maybe that he, would not make him absolutely toxic to Bellator.
1: Wears a non-Reebok apparel to a weigh-in.
2: Already done that.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe he drops some uh, some uh, homophobic slurs. Already done that. Mm, maybe he uh, loses a ton of money at the blackjack table.
2: See, I see what you're doing here. Uh, All right, let's, I guess, suspend that portion of the disbelief and answer the core question, which is, could Dana White jump in as the Bellator president right now and make it into the new UFC, basically? Or would he just, like, fail at it? Or would he just end up doing the same stuff Bellator is doing right now?
1: And by extension, I think we're asking the question you know how good a promoter is dana white maybe is the is perhaps the core issue at work here and even further down the, the road from that like how much of the ufc success perhaps is attributable to dana white and how much is attributable to the fact that uh the guys who owned the ufc were just willing to lose more money than everybody else was uh over the first decade right and how
2: much of it was coming in at the right time and at a scooping up a sport That was entirely unregulated, basically, where you got to kind of write your own ticket and scoop up a bunch of fighters who didn't know what professional sports contracts were even supposed to look like.
1: I think the first thing that we can confidently say would be that Dana White would at least early on bring some eyeballs to Bellator because of the lofty position to which he has ascended thus far in MMA. Yes. If he crossed the aisle to Bellator, people would be like, oh.
2: It'd be a big deal. People would be like, all right, let's see what he does.
1: Yeah, exactly. The question is, what would he do? Well, what could he do? And as far as like
2: what he would do differently with Bellator, I'm assuming he'd still have Bellator's current roster to work with. I mean, he could, I guess, try to sign up UFC fighters when they become free agents and stuff like that. But I don't know if there are a whole lot of people right now, like really good kind of blue-chip fighters in the UFC, who would be like, oh, Dana White's over there now. Well, I, I really enjoyed my time in his employ, and I felt I felt that he was a really great and reasonable and uh, and calm presence and and boss to work for. So I gotta I gotta get with that guy again. I'll go wherever he goes. I yeah. don't think there's a whole lot of people that feel that way. I think there's a lot of negative feelings toward Dana White among a lot of, especially of the top fighters, who have risen to a position where they might clash with him.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's mixed. There are probably people that do have positive feelings toward Dana White, but I don't know if that that like he would lead a mass migration over to Bellator. Uh just in terms of like how they relate to fighters, I would think that that you know, he and Scott Coker are probably comparable in that regard. Like clearly Dana White is the much bigger celebrity. Everybody in and around and outside the MMA bubble knows who Dana White is, but like Scott Coker has just as many positive Uh, And negative, I would assume, relationships with MMA fighters. And, you know, you've seen some people cross the aisle because of that relationship and go from the UFC over to Bellator or from another organization over to Bellator. But the fact is, like, I just I don't even know, like, how much room there is for a lot of migration just because the UFC has such a uh, I don't want to say monopoly because that's not the right word. But they have, you know, the lion's share of mixed martial arts talent in the world. Uh, under contract, and like those people just can't bail and and go to Bellator, and so and so, just having Dana White over there, I think would bring you some attention, but I don't know that it would bring you much more than that. Yeah, and
2: I would wonder, if, for the sake of this, what if one of the things that I think made Dana White a what the UFC needed at a certain point in the past was that he was. Like an aggressive evangelist for MMA at a time when MMA really needed that. Yeah. You needed somebody who could go on all these different sports talk radio shows and sports sports TV shows and everything, and make the case for MMA and why this is not just like some barbaric, like blip that it is an actual combat sport that deserves to be taken as seriously as stuff like boxing, and that there's a whole lot of great, like athletic and human drama. To be found in this sport if you give it a chance. And MMA really needed that. And he was that. And now though, I think the Dana White you see now is not as motivated or not as like passionate about making that case over and over again. And then we don't need that case to be made the same way we need it anymore. And, and I, I would want... I mean, maybe if you... Imagine this what if he's fired from the UFC. Maybe he gets really re-motivated to go over there in Bellator and be like, I'll show you. I'll build Bellator up into the big thing. And maybe Dana White, with that kind of fire lit under him, could really do that. Uh, but these days, it's like Dana White doesn't even seem like he feels he needs to watch all the fights that the UFC puts on.
1: What, would, what do you think his uh, derogatory nickname for the UFC would be? After he crossed the aisle, UF Spuke?
2: No, it would be you fucking something. Yeah, there you go. Like, you fucking can't fire Dana White and not expect him to (laughs) shove it up your ass later.
1: Next question this week comes from Louis the Magnificent.
2: Okay. Always nice to hear from, like, I assume a magician. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Probably wrote this on his phone from a kid's birthday party. Sup, dudes? So I was taking a peek at the upcoming UFC China card, trying to find something to get excited about, and lo and behold, I spied our guy Easy Dos Santos there in the co-main, taking on Li Jingliang. That's something, isn't it? It is something.
2: But you know what? When I saw that, I was like, okay, so we just we wanna make it impossible for easy Dos Santos to get anywhere. We wanna make it absolutely so that no matter how many fights he wins and how good he looks, he still never gets noticed, because this is the perfect way to do it. Yeah. Stick him on this China fight at like five o'clock in the damn morning. That'll that'll help make sure that nobody ever remembers seeing the guy fight, even though he's super good. We, tr- we did all we could, Chad. We we changed his name for him without yeah. his consent. Easy really Dos did. Santos is so much better. It's a lot of fun. People already seem to like to use it. And then what do we do? We're just going to bury him on this fight card.
1: Seven-fight win streak right now for your boy Easy Dos Seven Santos. Seven-fight win streak. Goes out there and beats Li Jingliang. Obviously, he will have eight fights in a row in the welterweight division, a division where several different people are stacking up considerable win streaks at this point. And I guess you could say... Uh, Easy Dos Santos is kind of like the least uh, publicized win streak going at 170 pounds right now. And
2: especially you look at the last three fights, uh, first round submission rear naked choke, second round KO flying knee and punches, first round KO spinning wheel kick and punches. What else do you want from the guy?
1: You want him to go over to China. That's what you want. And the, him against
2: Li Jingliang is a good fight. Yes, it is. And it's just, and I understand. Like you got Li Jingliang, you need to put him in a fight that matters. Uh, and you're also going to go to China. You want to help out your attempt to get a foothold going there. So it makes sense for you to match him up. And I also understand that if you're putting these fights on ESPN Plus, you've got to be giving them some kind of value. You can't just be like, okay, hey. This one, we're kind of just phoning it in and, and putting local talent on and we don't, we're thinking of it as like a regional MMA show and we don't really care. They're not going to like that. So I understand. And yet, if I'm Easy Dos Santos, I'm going, is this my destiny? <laughs> to just kick ass in a void? I'm just chopping down trees in the forest and no one's around to hear them fall. Is that what happens to me? Is that what I'm supposed to do with my life?
1: What are the odds Easy Dos Santos wins this fight we could get him into a thing with uh, Leon Edwards? Because that's two dudes nobody wants to fight, right? Yeah. We're gonna go ahead and do probably Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh as we'll talk about in a little bit, Connor McGregor is uh talking about returning, fighting uh, you know, any number of guys at, at uh Welch or lightweight. Nobody wants a piece of Leon Edwards, nobody wants seemingly easy Dos Santos, those two guys maybe uh cruising toward a matchup here.
2: I would be all for that. Like just Mr. X versus Mr. X kind of thing? Yeah. The best fighters you don't care about?
1: The best fighters nobody wants to fight? Yeah. Combining I'm, that rare and uh, highly unsought-after combination of being super tough and also a guy that most people don't know who you are?
2: See, this is the kind of genius that you will bring to the UFC after they fire Dana White, who then goes over to Bellator.
1: Yeah, then they hire me, and I'm thinking, all right, right, let's everyone everyone gets done at three, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll move to a four day work week.
2: Yeah, we're going to mandatory CrossFit in the mornings. <laughs>
1: That's right. And then everyone should be able to take a nap after that. All right, well, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you've got questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, 14 fights on the Bellator 225 fight card. Saturday night from Webster Bank Arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut. The granddaddy of them all. 14 finishes. Every fight finishes before the distance. No fight goes to decisions. Easy night for the judges. They get paid just to sit there.
2: I like that job. Can we get that job? Well, Not too bad. Good work if you can get it. Sounds better than this job.
1: Main event, of course. Sergey Haritonov beats Matt Mitrione. Second round TKO uh, via... Pretty stiff uppercut that he hit Matrion with here before following up with some hammer fists on the ground that force Dan Mergliata to step in and stop this fight. Although, Ben, and there was a lot of heavyweight intrigue on this card, which I hope that we can talk about in a couple minutes. But the intrigue here in the final fight of the night, Matt Matrion's mouthpiece. He can't keep that dang old thing in his mouth. New mouthpiece. Yeah, it seems like maybe he wore the wrong one out to the cage as it turned out.
2: Well, as he said, he said he lost, that he had only worn this on, this other one uh, before for a long time. And then he lost it on, like, the Thursday before fight week. Which, I mean, we can all lose things, I guess, right? Yeah. You misplace something. Uh, the important thing I've found is that when you do lose something is to find a scapegoat. Uh, which, if you have a wife and two young daughters, not hard to do. Like, who moved, who moved my mouthpiece? Damn it, I knew right where it was. I know where everything is here. Yeah. If you move something, it throws off my whole system. In my
1: special mouthpiece jar. Yeah. Right up here on the shelf where I always keep it. Now God knows where it is.
2: And then he had to get a new one made, had to have it shipped to the hotel when it was done, and he said this was the first time he wore it, couldn't keep it in his mouth.
1: Couple things about this. Okay. Number one, as I have said before, watching the, watching fights a long time. Watch a lot of fights, devoted years of our lives to it. Still seeing new shit all the time. Yeah. Not sure that I've ever seen a fight quite this, uh, impacted, let's say, by one of the two fighters' mouthpieces. Number two, 22 fights into his professional career, which began in 2009. Uh, if you don't count his previous exhibition record on The Ultimate Fighter, Matt Mitrione, still pretty thrown by the fact that he can't keep his damn mouthpiece in his mouth. Because previous to the first time that mouthpiece falls out in this fight, he's kind of given Sergei Haritanov all he could ask for. And then, as soon as it starts falling out of his mouth a couple times, Mitrione seems to get a little rattled. And uh, Haritanov, I guess to his credit, kind of turns up the heat. Yeah, I mean... And Mitrion said afterwards
2: that it was, he was like not blaming the mouthpiece, but his own reaction to it, which made me wonder then how much it was really about the mouthpiece. Do you think it was that, you know, you're you're putting it on and you, the guy's still there and then you feel like you start to get a little discouraged, then a thing goes wrong
0: it's like you know, when you're yeah. having
2: a, you're having a bad day, or you're in just like a shitty mood, and the slightest thing goes wrong, and you're like, "Well, there you go, yeah, another goddamn thing."
1: The, the straw that breaks the camel's back would be right. the cliche. Well, and in
2: his line of work, one instant of distraction or of like discouragement at this other thing, and the next thing you know, the guy is uppercutting the shit out of your face and then kneeing you in the head. Yeah, and, and that's all it takes. Like you can't afford even that moment of distraction, right? Or, or get, or I remember a fighter once saying, I can't remember who it was, but he was. It was one of the things where he shows up backstage after like a UFC prelim fight where he had won. He had won a submission, and he was talking about a moment in the fight where his opponent had gone for some sweep, and it hadn't worked. And now he could hear the guy go, "Ah, damn it," or something like that, kind of like under his breath. And he thought, as soon as he he heard that, he was like, "Don't do that." Like you let me know that you're upset or yet you're discouraged with how any little thing in the fight went. And automatically I get invigorated and I feel like now I got you. Maybe it was a thing like that.
1: Yeah. And I think it just points out that, you know, these people out there are walking a damn emotional tightrope, right? And that's what I said. Like you can be 21 fights into your MMA career. You can be Matt Mitrione, who's a guy that everybody, at least inside the MMA, MMA bubble knows who you are. We've been watching you for a long time. You're a veteran at this point, And it just seems like you kind of lose your composure if something that you didn't expect, something that you couldn't possibly have visualized or mentally prepared yourself for happens out there. And I think that that just reinforces the kind of like pressure packed situation that you are in when you are out there in a professional mixed martial arts fight in front of, you know, 7,000 people watching you there in the arena and more than that, uh, watching you on television. Uh, but it's, and maybe that's why, you know, we talked about in the past, Connor McGregor shows up on the scene. And his quote-unquote mind games seem to have a shockingly effective reaction from other fighters, from people like Jose Aldo, for goddamn sake, who uh, has been through just about everything a person could be through, uh, could have gone through, and yet, like, Conor McGregor's trash talk seemed to unnerve him to the point that uh, he went out there and sprinted directly into a straight left hand and got himself knocked out in 13 seconds. Matt Mitrione's mouthpiece, seemingly like... You know, it's all it took to, to, to in some ways shake him off the, the path here, and that's all it took.
2: Yeah. Well
1: the the
2: nature of the whole thing, you mentioned we get ourselves a fight car with a whole bunch of finishes.
1: Heavyweight intrigue is one way to put it. Cause our guy, Big Tim Johnson. Yeah, we th- didn't even know. See that's here's another thing about MMA. The world can change between Friday and Monday, right? Because we talked about the return of Timothy Johnson to Bellator on Friday's Power Hour and the glorious bushy mustache that he was rocking at the weigh-ins. We didn't even know that he was going to be able to sashay up to the co event to fight Vitali Minnikov, the former uh, champion, in uh, uh, you know at the last minute without any notice. And maybe it wasn't such a good thing for him. He did kind of get worked, didn't he? Pretty quickly, too. I mean, Minnigal is
2: a tough dude. Yeah. He used to be the heavyweight champion, as you point out. And he hits Tim Johnson with a little front kick and then right hand coming right behind it. Yeah. And
1: almost simultaneously. Yeah. Almost like he's the Ranger Greg Stott out there uh, trying to throw punches and kicks at the same time.
2: Here to prove that uh, rip, rip rules, rules.
1: And all their styles rest in peace. Yeah.
2: That's a, that's a throwback. But he was actually making Ranger Stott's style work. (laughs) Maybe it helps to not be just dwarfed physically by the man you're fighting as when Ranger Stott went out there and fought Mark Kerr. But, yeah, I mean, you don't see a whole lot of heavyweights who can pull off that kind of attack. And Tim Johnson just got, as soon as he he took that right hand to the face, you can just see him just kind of like melting backwards, like into the cage as Minikov comes on. And I wonder if that's the moment where you're going, you know, I had myself a nice prelim. I had myself a nice prelim fight planned. I was going to fight a guy whose name I could barely pronounce. People didn't really know him, but it seemed like a winnable fight for me. It was going to be how I was going to get my feet under me in Bellator. Instead, Bellator brings you over the first time they have you fight Czech Congo, who is now challenging for the heavyweight title. The second fight, they slot you in the last minute into a fight with former champion Vitaly Minnikov.
1: Not not easy times over there for, for Tim Johnson. I would think you're thinking about the money. I hope you are. And I hope that Tim Johnson got himself a nice bonus for stepping up on short notice to fight in the co-main event here. Uh Because it it didn't go all that well for him, as we said. A minute and 45 seconds is all it takes to get the loss. Let's just hope that Tim Johnson got uh, a little bonus for, for taking this much tougher fight on short notice. Another thing that happened, Ben, Tyrell Fortune, another guy we talked about on the Power Hour, undefeated Bellator heavyweight prospect. He got a win over Rudy Shafroth. Uh, second round submission in the, uh, curtain jerker on the main card. So, uh, another win for Tyrell Fortune. And then he got on the mic and said, essentially, he's ready for some of these big names that Bellator's got hanging around. Which, if you're Tyrell Fortune, you know, not a bad idea. If you look around the heavyweight division, maybe you see some guys on, uh, four fight with losing streaks so that you think like people know who that guy is. Maybe I could fight and beat him. Yeah, I could beat
2: him up. Sure. Now, Lastly, the thing I want to talk about before we move on from this Bellator card, Nick Newell. Yeah. Your guy Nick Newell has his Bellator debut on a one-fight deal in Bellator, from what we understand. Comes on there on the prelims, uh, submits Corey Browning with an arm triangle choke just a little over midway through round one. Looks good, like we expect Nick Newell to look. Now, where do you go from here? Because I I was surprised that Bellator only signed him to a one-fight deal, kind of treating him like like they treat a lot of the prelim guys. We need somebody to help us sell tickets in the local market. You're a guy from around here, right? You can probably sell some tickets around here. Yeah. So we'll sign you up. It'll be kind of like a tryout. And even if you win, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a Bellator guy. But Nick Newell's a guy we know. Yeah. He's a guy who clearly he can do this sport. Like he is a good fighter. And he has an inspiring personal story that everybody seems to know and get on board with at this point. I don't know why you wouldn't want it, why you wouldn't sign that guy up for a three fight deal or something right off the bat. Because Nick Newell goes out here, beats somebody in Bellator, and now you got to negotiate with him. If I'm PFL, I'm thinking Nick Newell in the lightweight tournament? Sure, we could do something like that.
1: Yeah, and if you're Nick Newell, you're probably thinking something along the same lines. You win this fight at Bellator 225, maybe Bellator's not your only option. I don't know. It was a little bit weird. It was almost like Bellator treated it like... A Dana White contender series fight, which Nick Newell obviously already had back in 2018, lost that one via unanimous decision to Alex Munoz. Uh, but it was sort of like we assumed win and you're in, lose and you're, and you're out here for Nick Newell and Bellator. Of course, he does beat Corey Browning via first round arm triangle choke. Uh, and I think you're right. And we talked about this on Friday also that like Nick Newell, frankly, if I'm Bellator, is a guy that I would just like to have around. He's a smart guy. Like, everybody seems to like him. He's a good talker. Uh, As you said, he has proved himself to be probably good enough to fight in one of the major mixed martial arts organizations. And he's got a story that that people like and that makes him an easy sell in media markets. I don't know why you wouldn't want him. And I would be kind of surprised at this point if he doesn't come back uh, and fight a couple more times, at least in Bellator. He just seems like a no-brainer to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
1: All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two. I'm going to do my Are You Fucking Kidding Me because, surprisingly enough, it is Rudy Shafroth related. The guy who lost over the weekend to Tyrell Fortune. First of all, former NAIA All-American at a place maybe you've heard of, Montana State University Northern. Go lights, by the way, up there in Haver. Haver? Yeah. There's a college in Haver? MSU Northern, my friend. Oh, come on.
2: They can't be accredited.
1: Uh, they are. They got NAIA Athletics up there.
2: Is it like one of those old, pla- where it's like a single school room? Like a single building Man, where they do all talk the classes? way about
1: the Montana University system. Get yourself a good edu- education at one of those colleges. And Haver? Didn't say it was going to be fun.
2: <laughs> okay, so what's your, what's your, are you fucking kidding me?
1: Here's my, are you fucking kidding me? Rudy Shafroth, he's from Oregon. He began his MMA career out there with Team Quest. Uh but drifted away from the sport for a while, went over and worked in the oil fields.
2: Well, naturally, if if you're going to college in Haver, you might as well go work in the oil fields. This is
1: from a story by Alexander K. Lee over there on MMAfighting.com, by the way. Uh, Just want to read this. I'll tell you what what happened, and I'll read you this quote. One of the several things that uh, convinced him to go back to mixed martial arts, a big pipe almost fell on him in the oil fields. shit. There was a pipe one time that was being lifted up in the air and the chain, I guess it turned. The chain slid a little bit. The hook came off and the pipe came falling down and it just brushed my arm. Felt the vibration go by my shoulder and that was kind of one of the close ones. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that does make being an MMA fighter seem kind of awesome. Almost getting squashed by a huge pipe in the goddamn oil fields. So that happens and you're like...
2: This is too dangerous. I need to fight other people in a cage for a living.
1: What's Tyrell Fortune up to? I would rather fight him than get squashed by this giant pipe. Are you you fucking kidding me?
2: Chad, are you fucking kidding me this week? I'm going to read to you an Instagram post. Don't worry, the picture doesn't really matter for this one. It's all about the caption from Aljamain Sterling. All right? The picture is of him doing a post-fight interview with Joe Rogan from one of his previous fights. And the caption reads, I got a message for the whole division, Joe. Henry Sadudu, your axe stinks, <laughs> no, literally. Hey, no. <laughs> Don't, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> Marlon Morais, finally ran out of magic. Corey Sandhagen, stop drinking that delusional Kool-Aid. Peter Yawn, makes me yawn. Rafael Sunsau, <sighs> who cares? Pedro Munoz, tough bastard, but not quick enough. Cody Garbrandt, quickest rise and quickest fall. Uriah Faber, the one-trick pony. I saved the best for last. Frankie Edgar, 135 pounds, will not be the answer.
1: So a lot of plays on words there. Yep. From, uh, who's this, Algermaine Sterling? The hashtags, funk got next,
2: hashtag be great, hashtag Henry has a gold medal, hashtag
1: funk bandits, hashtag it's not talking shit if it's the truth. Okay, funk bandits I can get behind. Is Henry has a gold medal? Is that an insult of some kind? I don't I don't know what that's...
2: I mean, I guess, like, hey, has he pointed out to you? Has he mentioned lately that he has a gold medal? He does bring it around a lot. Yeah. There is that.
1: Hashtag folk bandits.
2: Are you fucking kidding me? This is what we're doing? I understand. I guess I can see what might have been going through Aljamain Sterling's mind. Like, where it's unclear what's going to happen next. There's a lot of moving parts in the, the Bantamweight division right now. It does seem like just... On paper, if we were living in a more logical world, he would have the claim on the next title shot, but we all know we don't live in that world. A little time goes by. He's like, I got to do something. I know. I'll get on the gram and I'll just, I'll just talk some trash on everybody. Let's see. I need to really lead with a strong one though. I got it. Henry Sadoodoo.
1: No, 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 no. See, this is where we need to have that business where yep. people bring us their ideas and we tell them whether or not they should put that on the Instagrams. And
2: we're like, no, now that'll be $40. Don't do it. for our time,
1: sir. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
2: Well, Chad, Conor McGregor would like to say he's sorry. And just to show what a magnanimous person he is, he is going to say that When he struck a 50-year-old man in the face in a bar for the sin of refusing a glass of his whiskey, Chad, he was in the wrong. Oh, he
1: was. Yeah. Now, see, what's funny about that was we knew that already.
2: (laughs) What's funny about the apology is that it comes many months after the actual incident happened. It happened in April. That was a month after he was arrested for stomping on some dude's phone outside the Fontainebleau in the early hours in the morning. Then the video comes out, no apology from Conor McGregor. Then then people start to get actually mad about this one. And they're like pouring his whiskey down the drain. It seems like this one might actually hurt. A a succinct description of the this how we came to this is on a bloody elbow today from artist Chris Rini, who says who has the the, the Conor McGregor crime flow chart, which the first question on the crime flow chart is, is there video evidence? Now, if there is, the next question is, can it be used for marketing the next fight? If yes, lay low, hire attorney. If no, the next question is, is it hurting proper 12 sales? And if yes to that, then you got to go out there and do the apologies. Now, that's what it seems like we're doing here, right? But as we talked about before, you get Conor, you get some time with Conor McGregor. You got to ask him about, okay, now tell us about all the fighting stuff next.
1: Yeah, we don't get a lot of ch- chances to talk to Conor McGregor. So you can understand Ariel Helwani gets the opportunity here for a lengthy sit down. You got to cover a lot of ground.
2: Yes. And so now we're back to having this speculative conversation about what to do with conor mcgregor next
1: that's right conor McGregor's still out here talking about the habib Nurmagomedov fight like none of us saw it
2: yeah we we did see it though and we don't need to see it again
1: yeah no he thinks we're just taking his account his account of events yeah about the one time he fought habib Nurmagomedov.
2: you scuffle in the dark in the parking garage with somebody and there's no video surveillance then sure we gotta you know you each get to tell us what you think happened this one we had it from all angles here. We were pretty clear on what happened in that fight.
1: Yeah, and I guess in the wake of this interview, and in you know in some of the strange ins and outs of this interview, which we talked about on Friday, uh, that the you know it's weird for him to make seemingly a heartfelt apology and also try to hype a fight during the same interview. Some other kind of uh, uh, notable, strange feelings that we got from this interview. Kind of brings up the obvious question, like, what do we think the appetite is to watch Conor McGregor return to the octagon at this point? Because in a lot of ways, at least inside the MMA world, it feels like our perception of him has changed a little bit. And so I'm wondering, like, will he retain the vast mainstream following that at the, thus far we think have only tuned in to Conor McGregor fights to see him lose? And If he doesn't, what is the interest level of actual MMA people? Because my sense of it, he's always going to have a very rabid fan base, obviously. But my sense of it is that inside the MMA bubble, a lot of people are just sick of the guy at this point.
2: Well, I think one of the things that they're sick of is that he comes with so much talk about what he might do or things he has done outside the cage. Like all this other stuff – and for the last few years, so little meaningful action. Yeah. It was way more fun when it felt like he was actually doing stuff in this sport that was breaking new ground. Like, and his, the scope of his ambitions was so great. He's going out there, he's knocking Jose Aldo out in 13 seconds. Now he's going to go immediately up to lightweight challenge for a belt there. And even when it was inconveniencing a lot of like, you know, cross divisional plans and people going, wait a minute, are you going to defend a belt? They were still into seeing this guy be like, I'm reaching for the next branch and the next one and the next one. And yeah. that, that was an exciting thing. And then it got to this point where it's like, you kind of become a Kardashian-esque person who's famous for being famous and not really for doing the thing anymore. I think people, if Conor McGregor came back and won a fight by the end of the year and then was like, all right, and I'm going to fight at least two times next year. I think people will get right back on board. But I think that you get tired, especially as you've noted, he's very online, has been very online in the past, you know, six months to a year or so. Yeah. I think people just get a fatigue at a certain point when they're like, look, are you ever going to do the thing that was the whole reason why we got into you in the first place?
1: Yeah. I agree with you that, like, from a fighting standpoint, he could probably drum up some enthusiasm again, especially if he came back and, like, kind of waxed somebody. If he, like, uncorked a Conor McGregor knockout or had a performance like he had against Eddie Alvarez where it just, like, wasn't really close. And then we would all kind of be like, wow, Conor McGregor is still Conor McGregor even after all this time away. I have a hard time believing, though, that he will ascend to the you know, almost legendary or like mystical heights that he had before. Like he was definitely had a mystique while he was climbing the ladder, you know, mystic Mac. And we proclaimed him a promotional genius and all this stuff. I don't know that he could get that back. I think that he has entered a new phase in his career at this point. Uh, and I'm not totally sure exactly where that leaves him, or what the the level of interest from outside MMA people will be. Do you feel like if he came back, let's say that the UFC was like, all right, Habib rematch? Do you think that mainstream people would come back to to watch that to the level that they did? Uh, you know, the Nate Diaz fight, the second Nate Diaz fight, or the first Habib fight?
2: Well, I think the. They would if they did come back. They would be like, "Wait a minute, what's this? What are all these paywalls you have up now?" Like that would be kind of a shock to them if they were had not paid any attention to it since last. I don't think they'd come back in those same numbers. And I think, honestly, if you're trying to build Conor McGregor back up into a thing and not just let's squeeze one more payday out of the guy before he goes absolutely insane, yeah, the Nurmagomedov fight is the bad move to make. Like if you think, okay, we're not gonna get much more out of him, let's just let's do one more. And you know, kill the golden goose. Then go ahead, sure, put him against Nurmagomedov. He's going to get beat up just as bad, if not worse, the next time. It's just a terrible style matchup for him. And nothing about what we've seen from Conor McGregor lately suggests that what he's been doing in all this time away is sharpening his defensive wrestling. Right. So that would be the last thing you'd want to do. I think if if you were thinking long term, I think if you put him up against somebody like Nate Diaz or a more winnable fight from like a fellow lightweight. Just style wise, even like if you put him against like Justin Gaethje or something, and thinking like okay, people will the hardcores will get into it, we will get some Conor McGregor loyalists and mainstream sports people back a little bit, but also he'll have a chance to go out there and maybe get the old Conor McGregor magic back, yeah, and then we'll build into something from there. Yeah, like I I would think that that would be the way to do it, but you also you don't want to go overboard and being like. Let's hunt for somebody Conor McGregor can surely beat. What's Dennis Seaver up to? Right, like I don't think you want to go all the way in that because right. you, you got to keep it still credible. Yeah. But here's the part I I want to read this to. You from this is one of the things he said to Eric Hawani in this ESPN interview, and I, I want you to listen to this and then tell me whether this sounds genuine, agree or disagree. I have to realize that's not the attitude or behavior of a leader or martial artist or of a champion, McGregor said. I must get my head screwed on and just get back in the cage. Fight for redemption, retribution, respect, the things that made me the man I am. And that's what I will do. Now, he's saying all the things like we've just said. Yeah. Do you believe it?
1: I mean, I believe that is what he should do, right? Uh, but like I said on Friday, there with these, we are so coached at this point and predisposed to doubt these public apologies and particularly to doubt public MMA fighter apologies that like I feel like we honestly won't know for like two years we need to see what Conor McGregor does like if he comes back resumes his career manages to stay out of trouble maybe 18 months from now we're like okay that was actually kind of a turning point for Conor McGregor and he did in fact get his shit together and he did come back and have a couple of fights then that that's all well and good, but if like if that doesn't happen, if he just like goes out and punches another old man in a bar next week, then he we'll was
2: fifty. The guy was fifty. It's
1: not middle aged man. Middle aged pun- punches another middle aged man in a bar. Then we'll be like, yeah, his apology was the bullshit we had been coached to believe it was. Yeah. Anyway, that's gonna do it for round number two. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're gonna do a little master tweet theater. It's been a long time since we caught up with him, so we're looking forward to that. That starts right now.
2: Once that time again, we welcome back friend of the show and noted theatricalist Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you?
0: Good day to you, sirs. I am full of ruddy good health.
2: Yeah, okay, you do look uh ruddier than usual. I was gonna say something, but I didn't, I felt it might be impolite.
0: Yes, I'm on a new diet exclusively beets plus whatever I find on the ground.
2: Okay, yeah. I feel like I've I've heard about this one.
0: It's paleo, I think.
2: No, I don't. I don't think it is. But I appreciate that you are staying abreast of the news. I also assume you heard and were alerted to on Twitter where somebody pointed out the as somebody trying to make a claim of accidental contamination in their supplement, and their the name of their supplement it was like anabolic irate. Like, <laughs> I, irate was definitely a part of whatever the name of the actual supplement was, and I was like. This is not. This makes Frisky's Explode seem dangerously possible.
0: I believe it was Juggernaut Irate. You're right.
2: There you go. Juggernaut Irate. Truth imitates fiction, sirs. <laughs> Who could have thought that Juggernaut Irate would contain banned substances?
1: Yeah, that's one you might want to have uh, Jeff Nowitzki go over before you start putting that in your hey body. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff.
2: What do you think about Juggernaut Irate? <laughs> Can I get a thumbs up on that one or what?
0: <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. No problem. He's a NASCAR driver, I believe. Uh, So, yes, I
2: believe you're right. So, I assume you've brought us a series of tweets
0: organized around a theme. I do and have, sir. You assume correctly, and I have done so. The theme is problematic images.
2: The theme is problematic images, and this is for our... You know, our mostly audio podcast.
0: Indeed, There sir. is a
2: live
1: streaming element for
2: our patrons, Indeed. but they can't see you on it. So this is an interesting choice by you. Are
1: we are talking metaphorical
0: imagery here or? No, actual images that I will describe vividly <laughs> using my training as a theatricalist. Images which undermine or otherwise diminish the tweets in which they are included.
2: Okay. Well, Alrighty. the good news is that he won't ever stick to this theme, so we don't have to worry about it too much.
0: Compliance is high. For This one. We'll see. So, it feels like you say that every time. Mm-mm. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Faux T, the realistic false goatee for men. Is your inability to grow a goatee preventing you from advancing in your career as a professional bass fisherman or member of the Best Buy Geek Squad? When you call in to talk radio, does the sound of your bare chin against the receiver cause other divorced libertarians to dismiss your views? Faux has the synthetic facial hair solution for you. Every faux-tea brand artificial goatee is waterproof, Miller Lightproof, proof and made with 100% human or primate hair. Get ready to stop worrying and start commenting on your niece's friend's Facebook photos with a synthetic goatee so realistic no one but your court-appointed anger management therapist knows for sure. faux tea, now available in Extra Wispy. He's been waiting to break that one out. So I see
2: you've also had a visit with the Geek Squad recently.
0: Indeed I have. (laughs) They installed my washer dryer.
2: Yeah, no. They put a new battery in my
0: phone and I find this description particularly regionally apt. Yes, what is it about a blue button down shirt that prevents you from growing hair on your cheeks? Mm. (sighs) Hmm.
2: All right, so the theme was problematic imagery?
0: Indeed, sir. Okay. Let us begin. Tweet the first. The most awkward moment in life is when you shove a sushi roll in your mouth while you're making eye contact with a hot guy. Gif of Mary-Kate or Ashley Olsen at age one year. Wait, what What was she doing in the gif? She was making a fish lips face. You know, when you pucker your lips and then you sort of bring them I don't need you to do it. I don't lips. need you to do it. Please don't do it. I get it.
2: I get what you're saying. Fish lips. Hmm. Um... Are we thinking of this as a female fighter? Because the hot guy thing seems to suggest that yeah. it's either that or somebody is embracing a more, like, a wider spectrum than you usually see in MMA. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Would Sir Nigel,
1: would he dare go Julie Kedzie? See, that's, I think that's a at least a decent choice. That's kind of what I was thinking. I'm going to go Julie Kedzie. Yeah. Um... I mean The only the gif is the only thing.
2: That the, the Michelle Tanner gif seems a little bit out of character of Julie Kedzie, but I'm I'm doing it
1: anyway. I'm gonna agree with you, Julie Kedzie.
0: Both fine guesses, a dear friend of the podcast, but incorrect. It is Jessica I. This
2: son of a bitch.
0: Making eye contact. Okay. Um so
2: the tweet was just spelled out all normally, huh?
0: Uh, well, you're Y-O-U-R in place of Y-O-U-apostrophe-R-E. If you'd have said that, there's no way we
2: would have guessed Julie Kedzie. I MFA grad Julie Kedsey
0: True. Would never make that mistake. Also you... would never make eye contact with a guy.
2: <laughs> you pronounced it? Is that what you said? I or? did.
0: I did. You're, as the Americans say. <laughs> I myself am American. It's a complicated mythos. <clears throat> Tweet the second. Look at left pick. American people call this mochi. Real mochi is right pick. You guys don't know real mochi is best Japanese sweets. But I know looks ugly. Laughter until tears emoji. Picture of disgusting white squares on a grill. Bursting open. Partially burnt. Oozing. Disgusting. What the hell are you even talking about? Mochi. Have you had the delightful Americanized ice cream dessert?
1: Taruto Ishihara. That's what I was going to say. Is this your boy Taruto?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is Taruto Ishihara. Setting us straight about mochi and or making us want to throw up on ourselves.
1: After a long absence from Master Tweet Theater, I might add, making his return. And so
2: since you've been keeping an eye on Taruto Ishihara, I got to ask, you noted before that he always uses... Like a certain like skin tone on, he's very adamant about. Is the laughing until crying emoji? What what was that? Just Just regular. regular,
0: I mean, just regular yellow, um, which itself a problematic phrase. But mostly, Teruto has been tweeting in Japanese, thus preventing me from knowing what the fudge is going on. Wait,
2: hold on. When you applied to be this show's theatricalist, you said you were fluent in Japanese. I said a lot of things, (laughs) sir. Uh, the, so the, the, the problematic imagery is the actual picture of the mochi?
0: Yes, in this case, what he claims is the real mochi looks like something I would never eat in 1,000 years. A big square scallop melting on the grill. I don't know. I feel like you got to trust Chirucho on this one. Maybe. Perhaps. Always trust the Japanese. They'll never surprise you.
2: What are you trying to do on this show? ha <laughs> ha! There's, there's no way we could get canceled, but
1: I feel like he's trying to get us canceled. I'm just going to sit here and wait for the next one.
0: Pearl Harbor was the real 9-11. Too soon. Never forget. Too soon on Pearl Harbor. (laughs) Perhaps. Tweet the third. Six weeks, you fucking pussies. I'll probably be back next week. I was in the gym today. Six months was just a thought I said out loud because you regular pussies would wait six months. That's what I learned from the world. Bunch of pussies. I'm a dick. Fuck all of you. Praying hands emoji.
2: (laughs) Okay, so I guess I I don't have to ask what the problematic imagery is on that one. Uh, Also, I got this one. Do you got this one? Uh, No. Is it the poet Phil It's. It might be the man coming for his spot. It's Mike Perry.
0: It is! It is Mike Perry once again ordering his fan base to fuck themselves. (laughs) World is
2: full of pussies. He's a dick. Mm-hmm. You get it?
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, whew, I get it. Praying hands emoji. Yep.
0: <laughs> emoji oh. Jesus would not approve. <laughs> or emojis. Jesus. Mm. Tweet the fourth. Why is it called a U-turn and not an N-turn? Web cartoon containing the exact same joke. What? Why is it called a U-turn and not an N-turn? Followed by a web cartoon made by someone else containing the exact same joke.
1: I don't even get the joke. I don't get the joke either.
0: Well, see, when you make a U-turn, you actually turn in more of an N shape from your own perspective. Like a lowercase N? Yes, the curve is at the top. And then, you know, you go on your way.
1: Okay. That's... I mean, that could be anyone.
2: Man. Who would find this hilarious? Randy Couture. Okay, I'm going to go with Randy Couture Rich Franklin.
0: Both fine guesses, both varieties of Randy Couture, but both wrong, and it it's Israel Adesanya. The huh. last style plagiarizer.
2: So do you think, you know, you're trying to get ready for a big fight yeah. against Bobby Knuckles. You want just anything to take your mind off of it.
1: Maybe he doesn't have a lot of like uh, carbs in his body right now. Okay. Not mm. very many calories. Yeah. Maybe he's cutting weight. Maybe he's uh, depleted.
2: I don't know. If I'm... Robert Whitaker. And I take a look at this guy's Twitter just to see where his head's at. And I, and he's doing stuff like this. I'm like, okay, I got this. Or maybe I'm like, I absolutely cannot lose to this guy.
0: <laughs> Pressure's on. Is Real Adesanya. Basic as fuck. Mm. Tweet the fifth. Who's next? Hashtag goat killer. Image of himself wearing a t-shirt with an image of himself on it, holding a bowie knife and the severed head of a goat.
1: I think that's Henry Cejudo.
2: That does sound like something he... But he's really... i don't Unless this was a while ago, because lately his thing has been pretty specific to Valentina Shevchenko and being the transgender champion. Colby Covington.
0: Both fine guesses, but only one correct. It is Henry Cejudo tweeting this very day seems to have dropped the intergender championship meme. Huh.
1: okay. Maybe someone told him to move on from that? Yeah.
0: Indeed, perhaps the estate of Andy Kaufman. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <clears throat> well,
2: what an end to Master Tweet Theater that was. Uh, what else you got going on, Sir Nigel?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an exciting new project about two teenage cancer patients who go on a life-affirming journey to exterminate a race of alien insects. I see, and and what is it called? It's called The Fault in Our Starship Troopers. And what role do you play? I play a big psychic bug.
2: (laughs) That was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock.
0: Thank you, sir.
1: Well, Ben, in the early morning hours of this Saturday, August 31st, UFC China, Andraj versus Zhang, UFC Fight Night 157, UFC on ESPN Plus 15.
2: Going down up? there in the Shenzhen Universade Sports Center
1: Arena, granddaddy of them all. You getting up for this one? Hell no. Going to catch this one later. Get your damn mind. See, this is what ESPN Plus is for. Right. This is why you have ESPN plus so you can watch it later.
2: Okay, Do you think I can manage to wake up, get my morning coffee, get a little bit of seclusion away from my children long enough to open up ESPN plus app, watch the main event all without finding out who won? Do you think it's possible? Yeah,
1: yes. As long as you stay off social media, it's not like there's going to be a blimp flying around telling us who won Jessica Andrade versus. Wade I mean, I'm going to get
2: email updates from the UFC well, yeah, the way they do.
1: Them. You got to open those to find out what the uh, what the information is.
2: Nope. You know how you can tell? How? Whose name is listed first? Oh, that's the winner. Well,
1: now you spoiled it for me. <laughs> Sorry, you haven't noticed that. I guess I hadn't been looking all that closely.
2: Yeah, that's how. So, you Yeah, know. don't look
1: at your phone. Okay. Just get up and run straight to the, uh, to the den. And yet, I am
2: forced to ask whether it is important enough for me to take these steps to make sure I get, I go in pure to just Gondra versus Willie Jean. Yeah,
1: see, there I think is the actual question. Are we back to the days of UFC world fucking domination where they are booking fights that are not for us? Because you look at this, uh, ESPN plus 15 card. It seems really narrowly focused to the Chinese market and the time slot seems narrowly focused to the Chinese market. And it doesn't seem like it seems like if you are an American fan and you want to watch this, you can. And if you if you just want to sit it out, despite the fact there's a damn title fight as the main event maybe this one's not for you.
2: What does it say to you about what they think of the women's strawweight title? That it's not one it's they don't see it as a pay-per-view title at this point. They think, "Okay, well, it's a belt, it's a shiny gold belt, we can put it on the poster, that'll be cool, but we can also, here's a like one of the few divisions where we have a Chinese fighter who's right there kind of in contention. Here might be the best chance we get yeah. to put a Chinese fighter in a title fight on Chinese soil."
1: Yeah, it seems like more of a matchup issue like a uh Serendipity of, of uh, having Wei Li Zhang there to uh, be able to fight Jessica Andrade more than like a negative commentary on the women's strawweight title.
2: Or well, I'm just saying look, what the UFC thinks of the Strawway title at this point. Because uh, honestly, I was surprised to look at the odds on this and see they're actually fairly close. Like it's not like Jessica Andrade is going in there as like an 8-to-1 favorite or
1: anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, it's... It's possible that you get an up an upset here, right? Like uh, Wei Li Zhang is, is undefeated in the UFC, 19-1 and 1 overall. Uh, she has a, a, a lot of skills. And then and Jess Gondraj is kind of a surprise champion, frankly, to begin with.
2: Yeah, Jess Gondraj might go over there and be uh, discombobulated by the Chinese surveillance state. Uh, Wei Li Zhang, already familiar with it, going to expect to just have like a... Uh, whole passport taken of her every time she walks down the street to go to the corner store to get some distilled water.
1: I mean if Matt Mitrione can get discombobulated by his mouthpiece falling out, anything could happen.
2: There you go. There you go. Now the the way it's gonna work for most of us, I assume, is we're gonna get up Saturday morning, leisurely, take our time. We're gonna figure out either like shortly before I watch it or we'll watch like the, the main event kind of thing the way ESPN plus does a good job of breaking that out. So it's like easy to find you go in there. There's the main event. You're going to watch the main event and then you're going to go, Oh, okay. Like assuming nothing absolutely insane happens either way it goes where you're going to go. Okay. That was it. Uh, how many people do you think are going to start sorting through other fights on this card?
1: Very few. I'm going to watch the main event and then I will probably look at the results. See what happened to Easy Dos Santos. And if it seems like that's something I need to watch, I'll probably watch that one. Like if it's a if it's a
2: fight of the night that ends in a third round TKO or something.
1: Yeah. Like if it seems like uh worth worth your time to watch it, if it's like a minute and fifteen seconds long or something, or if it seems like it's a fight of the night uh caliber fight, then yeah, circle back and watch that. The rest of this stuff, man, I mean you only got aside from the main event and co-main event. There's only four fighters on this thing with Wikipedia pages on the whole card. So I think you're going to want to hit the highlights here. And that's about it.
2: It's fight cards like these that make it seem like the UFC is almost actively telling you that they don't want you to watch it.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like we as a culture, as an MMA community, and really as like the media almost need to start making some some choices here. Like, up to this point we we cover basically every UFC event like it's equal to every other UFC event you know with the the exception of pay-per-views are somewhat elevated but like we cover every ESPN plus event kind of like it's the same they've even uh managed to get people to report on the contender series every week like that's yeah. another UFC event even though like if the UFC's name and brand weren't on those fights they would basically be you know LFA fights on Access TV right that's the same sort of level of fights that you're getting there. Uh at this point, don't we need to like look around at these events that are overseas that don't really even pertain to the American market and kind of be like, eh, what do we even do with this? Like this is kinda of like if we were uh national baseball writers and the Astros although the Astros are really good now, aren't they? I don't know. You so, told like, me. The pirates were playing the okay, Pirates Marlins. Going. Like, would we spend a lot of time talking about that? No, what if we probably Pir-
2: wouldn't. What if the Pirates are playing the Marlins and somehow the World Series is on the line? Because that's the, well, the championship it, belt yeah. seems like the thing that that complicates this somewhat.
1: No, yeah, you're right about that. But I'm just, you know, talking about the, like, card-wide. card, card wide. Like, we we are definitely going to pay attention to what happens to Jessica Raj and Wiley Zhang. But, like, the rest of this, like, I don't know, man. I don't think we need, like, a... Uh, live results blog post about this or whatever okay
2: all right making uh editorial decisions let's see so the main card here starts at six starts at 6 a.m eastern right that's correct so it starts at 4 a.m here and you got a five fight main card but it's on espn plus so it'll go by a little quicker so probably you get around two hours in before you get to the main event right would you say
1: that's Mm -hmm. somewhat accurate it'll end about 6 a.m we can get out of there for our normal 6 a.m run Okay. Right.
2: Or Saturday morning. Yeah. yeah. Get our get our road work in there. Um so yeah, I mean, maybe they'll time it just right for me to wake up you know, somebody will drop a book on somebody else's head in my house and wake up screaming and then I'll I'll be up and I'll be like, Well, hey, as long as I'm up, maybe I catch this one live. There you go.
1: Yeah, see it might work out just perfectly for yeah. you. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week, Ben. What is your just saying stuff?
2: Well, did you know that uh, Paige Van Zandt, PVZ, she's involved in a a kind of a contract financial dispute with the UFC? I did not know that. Now, here is a quote from her uh, where she was talking about her her, her displeasure with her last contract negotiation uh, with the UFC. I make way more money sitting at home posting pictures on Instagram than I do fighting. This is Paige Van Zandt to Ariel Helwani. When I did my contract negotiation last time, the talk was, I can't pay you more than a female champion. Okay, but why are you comparing me to just women? All of us should be getting paid more in general. I'm just saying, first of all, go on, Paige Van Zandt. Tell these motherfuckers something. Also, she makes more money. I think that she we're meant to take this literally, that she makes more posting on Instagram, basically being like a popular person on Instagram and an influencer or whatever, than she does fighting, which... That is a commentary on two different aspects of the modern world. <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: Just saying. Get
2: your money, page
1: fans in. Then this week, I'm just saying. Can you imagine being Frankie Edgar at this point? You just announced that you're heading down to bantamweight. You probably been watching what you eat. Probably been dropping a little weight. Probably maybe yeah thinking about getting into a fight camp, getting ready to make the drop down to 135. Next thing you know, this motherfucker Conor McGregor does an interview where he finally says, You know who else is at the top of the list? Frankie Edgar is also up there. Right there at the top of the list, McGregor said, because he has similarities to Habib. Runs on the back foot, shoots on the single leg. I want these types of similar bouts. And also, Frankie has been very respectful. Frankie has always been respectful. He said uh, that he wanted to say, I want to tell my grandkids that I fought Conor McGregor one day. And for me to hear that, ask Dana White. Uh, for me, when I heard that, that going back many months, he said that, I messaged Dana straight away and said, that's the fight to make. Motherfucker. Frankie Egger's going to hear this. He'd be like, now? Now you're saying this? Have I already cut out the 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 carbs? Now that I'm trying to get down to 135, I'm probably doing paleo or something. Now this guy wants to fight me.
2: Do you think he's uh, he's peering over the top of his newspaper and saying, "Mother, scratch that plan for dinner. We're having the sausage and peppers tonight.
1: Cook me up some of them flapjacks, Mother." I'm just saying, just saying. Anyway, that is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to look at some of the stuff that happens at uh, UFC uh, China, and then to start looking ahead to UFC 242, Habib versus Poirier, which uh, goes down from Abu Dhabi on September 7th. So we're going to start talking about that one. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
2: If you're aware, but uh, somebody just let me know on Instagram, CB Dolla, took the notes. Oh, we did. Mexico We've got stem cell treatment. Came into contact with some banned substances down there. A little, uh, stem cells for back, yeah.